All right, here we are. Steve Palmer here with Lawyer Talk here at the Roundtable with Norm, and this is one of our roundtable sessions. And those folks who know what the roundtable session is, it means it's going to be long, it's going to be fun, and there's going to be lots of great information. And today, uh, even better, uh, we've got a guest, uh, nationally known, uh, another attorney, been involved in all sorts of litigation, Rob Muse. Are you there, Rob? I'm here. Great to be with you guys. Good morning, Rob. In, in, Good morning. And Rob is joining us. Where, where are you, Rob, right now? I'm uh, just outside of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay. So what we'll do, we'll just we'll get the basics out of the way. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you do. Uh, obviously, you've got an organization. You've got uh, some causes. Uh, just give us the quick little thumbnail bio. Sure. I, um, I'm the co-founder and senior counsel of the American Freedom Law Center. We uh, actually, we're in our 10th year anniversary right now, but I've been doing uh, nonprofit civil rights litigation for well over uh, 20 years. Uh, the American Freedom Law Center is a national nonprofit public interest law firm. We take cases that are in the public interest, uh, typically cases involving the First Amendment, the right to free speech, the right to uh, religious exercise. That's probably the majority of our cases. All of our work is uh, pro bono uh, for the good. Uh, we're a 501c3 organization. So all the legal work we do and the cases we do across the country, I have literally have had cases from Massachusetts to Hawaii. Um, we've got, we do cases all over the country defending uh, religious liberty and, and the freedom of speech. And like I said, we're a, we're a non, uh, nonprofit and we, by winning our civil rights cases, we get attorney's fees and we also rely on, uh, on donations for the work we do. But again, it's, it's in the public interest, right? The courts have said time and again that upholding the constitutional rights of a party is always in the public interest, right? Because when you defend the constitutional rights of one, of one plaintiff, you're also defending the constitutional rights of all. Um, the other thing is I was uh, uh, an officer in the Marine Corps for 13 years before my uh, this second career as a, as a lawyer. And I typically describe myself not as a lawyer, but as a Marine with a law degree. And so that's kind of my approach to uh, to the litigation, because this is uh, we describe it also as as lawfare, um, because so much of what has affected our culture negatively, uh, in my view, has occurred through the uh, through the courts and not through the democratic process. And, uh, you know, as a Marine officer, you take an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I went into law. I went to law school, left my active duty infantry officer career because, uh, in my view, there were more domestic enemies to the Constitution who are affecting our liberties and our freedoms here in the United States in the courtrooms. And so I uh, basically hung up my uh, my pack and my rifle and got my law degree and I'm. Um, I like to think I'm just continuing that same battle, that same fight, but doing so in the courtrooms. Um, I know, I, I, I confess, I did a couple of quick uh, Google searches. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll just throw it out there. I saw like hate group, uh, yeah. anti-Islamist, uh, lawfare, horrible people group. Um, and, you know, like anything else, once you once you uh, dig behind the name calling and all the, the, the facade of that, uh, it looked to me like what you guys are doing is just championing constitutional rights. Um, why don't you comment quickly on some of those uh, some of those uh, mudslinging comments? Well, it, you got to consider the uh, the source of the mudslinging because where that comes from is the Southern Poverty Law Center. Sure. And if anybody knows anything about the Southern Poverty Law Center, I mean, talk about a hate group. You know, it's yeah. a George Soros funded progressive organization. Quite frankly, it's it's. Uh, uh, I think it's an indication that we're having an impact on the culture when we make it on the list of the Southern Poverty Law Center, right? If you're known by your enemies, well, then that's that's a, a good enemy list to uh, to be on. 
Right. And I forget who said that famous quote, if you, if you don't have any enemies, you haven't done anything. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's, you know, that's the way they, uh, that's the way they attack. They engage in on ad hominem attacks, um, you know, and, you know, hate group. It's so absurd. I mean, just my background to an addition being, you know, 13 years on active duty, honorably served in the Marine Corps, you know, my father of 12 kids and, you know, devout Catholic, my colleague is a, uh, is an Orthodox Jew from New York, of all things. So we like to describe ourselves as the uh, nation's first truly authentic Judeo-Christian public interest law firm. Uh, so, I mean, the idea that, and, and just to give you an idea how absurd some of these accusations are, you know, they've described at times my colleague as a, uh, you know, as as a um, as like a neo-Nazi white supremacist. I'm like, the guy's an Orthodox Jew. He's got a beard. He wears a yarmulke. It's just, you know, it's like the same where they call Larry Elder, you know, the, the black face of white supremacy. I mean, these guys, they that's what they engage in. They engage sure. in ad hominem attacks. And uh, and you know, the Southern Poverty Law Center is is front and center in uh, in all of that. Well, they you got know, another group like Alliance Defending Freedom and other Christian organizations are. Are on their uh, on their hit list is as, yeah. uh, as, but it's it's just it's absurd. Yeah, but Rob, they got on the map, you know, um, doing you know years decades ago doing some uh, yeah. some good work uh, chasing down the Klan, and you know it's probably reflective uh, that society has evolved in a lot of these formerly very uh, essential uh, ACLU and and other groups like that. Uh, during the during the transition from Jim Crow uh, to where we are today, those organizations have kind of lost their mission because a lot of these social uh, situations that existed back in the '60s um, and and '70s and maybe even into the '80s with the Southern Poverty Law Center, um, a lot of those condition, conditions are not prevalent in society anymore. So they're so they retargeted. You know, they're they're right. after the, you know they've 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 changed their mission, and yet they're still using that um, the banner of uh, civil rights and uh, they're, we're the white hats, we're the good guys. But now they're targeting like you know uh, conservatives, and uh, they're targeting um, essential civil rights freedoms in in a way that um, has it, it betrays what they used to stand for. That's that it's just terrible. So uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's a bad. It's just the progressive left. I mean, that's that's their that's kind of the way they they operate yeah. now, right? Yeah. And 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 so many times, right? They they accuse conservatives of being exactly what they are. Yeah, you know, in yeah, so many a, ways. It, yeah, and yeah. It, and they're the anti-freedom, yeah, uh, the anti-civil rights uh, a block in, in instead of what they purportedly started out to be. Um, yes. Well, there's a couple of things I want to I want to cover some big sort of uh, yeah, let's some talk newsworthy about, stuff yes, that's sir. going on. But you've got before I do that, you got a couple cases I noticed that are uh, that are getting some national recognition as we speak. In other words, you've got stuff in litigation. Yeah. Uh, what do you got going on right now? Well, one of the ones that uh, I think is is quite interesting is the lawsuit uh, against uh, Twitter and the Biden administration on behalf of a uh, doctor out of Arizona, and uh, as. You know, anyone on the conservative side knows social media is uh, is very big on canceling, right? The whole cancel culture, anything that doesn't go along with whatever their propaganda message is, and uh, and particularly with regard to all these COVID nineteen restrictions, um, our our client Colleen Huber is a naturopathic, I think is the term they use for a physician, and in Arizona, and she was just posting up from reputable you know news sources in Israel and from Israel. Israeli studies on the efficacy of the vaccines 
and she was banned and they they canceled her Twitter account and and shut her down. And uh, we we know through even open sources that the uh, the Biden administration and Twitter in particular uh, were working in conjunction, working together to ensure that uh, what they you know described as misinformation. I love that. Right. That's that's the new term is misinformation. Yeah, right. It's very Orwellian. Crazy. Right. Because who gets to decide what's misinformation? If you want to, you know, if you want to have a campaign against in- misinformation, let me be the arbiter of what's misinformation. They probably wouldn't like that. Right. They like to be the the arbiters of of what is and what is not acceptable, uh, acceptable speech. Now, Twitter, and this is going to get into some of the, the First Amendment issues. Twitter alone is a, is a private entity. In order to trigger constitutional rights, you have to have what's called state action. I mean, you have to have a government entity that's actually involved in the censorship of the speech. The Bill of Rights is a break on the power of government. And just as a, as a footnote, the Bill of Rights aren't a conferring of rights on anybody by the government. Those are inalienable, inalienable rights endowed by our creator, as a Declaration of Independence uh, terms use. And the Bill of Rights is basically telling the government, these are areas you have no business of messing with. And one of them is is the right to uh, the right to free speech, but in order for the Bill of Rights to uh, to be triggered, is you have to have a state actor, you have to have a government actor. It's a break up. For example, and I get you know calls all the time. You know, I wanted to hand out literature outside of you know Walmart, and they told me I had to leave and I couldn't you know distribute my literature. Well, distributing literature is a First Amendment protective activity. It is, but so long as it's the government that's prohibiting you from doing so, you don't have any constitutional rights vis-a-vis Walmart or any other private actor. But there's exceptions to that to that rule. And one of them is if the state actor and the private actor are engaging in a conspiracy. Now, conspiracy is a legitimate uh, legal claim, right? You hear it all the time, though, thrown out as, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory, right? And just a way to undermine the legitimacy of what the claim is. But I guarantee you, pretty much every single day here in the United States, there are conspiracy claims that are being prosecuted by the federal government, whether it be drug conspiracies or otherwise, as well as civil conspiracies. And in order to, to demonstrate a conspiracy as a matter of a legal claim is you have to show an agreement between the state actor and the, the private party and some act in furtherance of that agreement. Now, the agreement doesn't have to be, you know, something written in a contract or because nobody does that, right? Who, who I mean, the, the dumbest of all criminals <laughs> you know, will, will engage in a contract to engage in, you know, in criminal activity. Sure. But so you can show that through circumstantial evidence. And there's been plenty of open sources that Twitter and the Biden administration <clears throat> were working together. In fact, they even used a term in one of their official press releases that they've entered into a partnership, right, to stop the misinformation supposedly on, you know, through these uh, the Twitter accounts. And so we've alleged that this this uh, conspiracy between the Biden administration and Twitter to censor speech that doesn't promote the agenda of the Biden administration, particularly with regard to these vaccines, is a is a suppression of of speech. It triggers the the uh, the First Amendment rights of our client. In fact, we we filed it as a uh, as a class action lawsuit as well because this is this uh, you know censorship of uh, conservative speech, if you want to call it, about vaccines and so forth is a, uh, you know, is widespread and rampant. And, you know, just look at any news source and you'll right, see, right. you know, how they're doing. And, you, you know, you even see Jen Psaki at the, at the podium at the White House, you know, calling on social media to be responsible and to shut down misinformation, right? We saw all the controversy with Joe Rogan because he happened to have, you know, this, a, a doctor with, you know, with incredible credentials 
talking about the mRNAs and the effects of the mRNA uh, vaccines and so forth. And, and this is just wrong, right? The, the, sure. the right to freedom of speech, I think it was from you know, New York Times and others you know, made the point, it's, you want to have a marketplace of ideas, right? And, and it's in that marketplace that the consumer decides what are the good ideas, what are the bad ideas. And what the left wants to do is they want to shut out an entire category of ideas so that there's no competition for what their particular ideas are. And you think about misinformation, in my view, the, the king of misinformation is Anthony Fauci, right? He's the guy that, if you remember, you know, just a year ago, these lockdowns are essential. You know, they're going to save millions of lives. What was the science that Anthony Fauci was relying on? And then we just see this John Hopkins study that comes out recently and says, oh, no, those are a terrible idea. The collateral damage, the number of lives saved by, um, by these lockdowns was, was minuscule, if even, even measurable, but the collateral damage caused by these lockdowns is was huge, costing you know hundreds of thousands of lives uh, because of these lockdowns. So it's so why so shut down Anthony Fauci? Why isn't the left calling for you know Anthony Fauci to you know to close his trap and stop talking about COVID nineteen restrictions because the guy's been wrong almost every time. Wrong. Sure, the, the um, government. So this, this is a serious problem. The government understanding of misinformation, it seems to be, is any information that is different than what they're disseminating. But if their information exactly. turns out to be factually false, well, you you can't talk about it. Rob, if if I can pop in, so you know, like there's, um, I think the conservatives uh, have largely taken up what I would call the true scientific uh, method uh, side of this argument. So a lot of the people have been deplatformed, like uh, Alex Berenson uh, off of Twitter, and others are are true middle of the road either journalists or scientists that really don't have a political bias uh, at all, and um, it's just that the conservatives seem to be for sure. Uh, although there's Bill Maher and some other people who are Johnny Come Latelys from the liberal side, progressive side, but most of the the blowback against Twitter and social media seems to be coming from the conservative side, mainly because we really do, speaking as a conservative, we really do want science uh, to be debated. And the scientific method throughout history, you know, at least since Galileo anyway, has been an open debate um, and things are, you know, like, you know, Newtonian physics is still called theory. You know, because it's nothing is ever finally proven in science. Everything should be challengeable. And what you're trying to do is is restore us back to an open uh, First Amendment, you know, kind of atmosphere where we can all talk uh, openly and hash out things. And, you know, yeah. um, I, I mean, I what you're doing is so essential and so important Um well, let me let me follow up on that too because you you're talking about your lawsuit against Twitter and in order to because Twitter everybody would say and you hear this on the news and, and I know you've answered it but I'm going to try to summarize it it's like wait a minute Twitter can do whatever they want they're a private company and your response to that is yeah except they're doing it in concert with the government in this case the White House and it's not only just a conspiracy they've actually they've got a contract or an agreement or a, a partnership I think you said uh, yeah they said yeah they said. <laughs> And, and yeah. that is how you're getting around uh, this idea that Twitter is acting as a private company. But let's say Twitter, can I just sue Twitter? Um, what, like, what are the rules there? Because I know there's a lot of debate about this. Can Facebook take me down and say there's no uh, partnership with the White House? Uh, how does that work? 
Yeah, they they have, and this is but there's, there's a couple. I wanted to, I want to get back to one of the points that that Norm made. I'll answer this question, but I want to get one of the because it's a it's an important point difference between science and public policy. Sure, relying on science and those those that's an important concept and to distinguish those two things. But to your your point directly, um, they have terms of service. Right. And if you and and it's, you know, the fine print, you know, the lawyer fine print that even as lawyers, I never read that stuff. I know most people don't read it. And it gives them, you know, a lot of authority to, uh, you know, to, to take, you know, adverse actions against you. But that is that's also supported by this Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, Section 230 of the CDA, which is also part of a lawsuit. And that's an important federal statute. And in, uh, in so many ways, Section 230 has some very good parts of it and some very bad parts of it. It operates as a is a shield in one respect, and it also operates as a sword. The shield part I have no problem with. So, for example, if your law firm operates a blog, or you know my law firm operates a blog, or you have a uh, you know an open Facebook account where you have friends that can that can respond and make comments or you know post on your blog. If somebody posts on your on your platform, whether it be your Facebook page or um, you know, that, uh, you know, post up on your blog or something, and they post something that is defamatory as a matter of law. The individual who did the posting, who engaged in the speech, can still be liable for the defamatory speech, but Section 230 protects you against third parties, against, you know, being sued by that third party for allowing that blogger to make the comment on your, on your blog post or on your Facebook page and so forth. And if you didn't have that, and to me, that's this this does uh, create more of a marketplace of ideas. Otherwise, could you imagine trying to run your blog or your Facebook or whatever, where you have to be, you know, constantly vigilant as to what's being posted and deciding whether it's legal or illegal and so forth. So I, I have no problem with that, with that shield aspect of Section 230 and protecting those who want to create platforms or blogs or whatever to have people to engage in that exchange, right? That's what blogs do. They get people on, they start commenting and Quite frankly, if you go to any news source or you go to a Fox News page and they have a story up, there's often a section where you can put comments in. And sometimes, you know, somebody might put a comment in there that's actually defamatory against somebody. But, you know, Fox News shouldn't be held liable for that. And to police that would just would just be unwieldy. But Section 230 also operates as a sword and it gives them the authority to shut down any material that they consider to be, quote unquote, objectionable. And this is where I this is where I have a problem. Because it's one thing, like when you have a Twitter account or you have a Facebook account or a Facebook page, you know, that's your Facebook page. That's your Twitter. That's your Twitter account. You're using that for your, you know, to, to convey the messages that you want to convey and, and so forth. And, and if, you know, Twitter's not liable for the things that I put on there, but then that, they also get the authority to go and shut down what I don't like or what they don't like in, in, as far as their terms of service. So, for example, in, in California, they have a civil rights statute that's very broadly the Unruh Act, which also applies to providers of Internet service. And you can't discriminate on any basis, including political views. So arguably, when Twitter shuts you down in California, they're violating the California civil rights statute, which is applicable against uh, private entities. It's a statute. It's not a constitutional provision. It's a it's a civil statute. Um, that applies against private actors, but you can't sue Twitter or Facebook um, because Section 230 provides them with uh, with immunity. And one of the things we've argued is that Section 230 in itself creates a state action in the sense that there is cases that make the point that if there's a federal or state law, right, because the law is, is state action, right, it's passed by the government, 
that changes the legal relationship of the parties, which this plainly does, then state action can be found to challenge the law itself. For example, can you imagine if they passed a law, a local, you know, a local city ordinance that said, you know, you could, uh, you can, you can engage in in an assault against somebody who's, you know, Asian, um, and then it's, but it's not an assault, and you know, some Asian gets beat up on the sidewalk, and and you know, and there's no assault. That 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 statute would violate equal protection, right? So so, th- in my view, Section 230. Um, is unlawful in that respect. It changes the legal relationship of the parties. It allows these social media companies to uh, to operate as a sword, and it doesn't provide the defense. And to me, that undermines the idea of uh, a, a marketplace of ideas. You know, a free marketplace of ideas, a free exchange of ideas. I mean, think for example. You know, Twitter sh- shuts down President Trump's Twitter feed, but leaves up the Ayatollah Khomeini's you know Twitter feed. Unbelievable. And, and so th- these these social media companies have gained so much power and authority that they literally could change the outcome of elections uh, by the way that social media operates uh, operates today. So they can. So they, this is a very important issue. That's that's you know what's the nature of the social media, right? They're, they're not government owned. Are they a type of a forum that should apply you know First Amendment principles, or is it just you know is the is the you know typically the answer to something like that is well create your own platforms. Right, which a lot of conservatives are doing now. You've got Rumble and some of these others uh, platforms that don't that don't uh, suppress speech, like YouTube and so forth. And those are starting to build uh, to build some prominence. But this is a this is a a real serious issue because it affects it affects public policy, it can affect elections and so forth because of the power that these social media companies wield. And, and is there actually? We'll let you go back and address norms. You wanted to talk about science versus policy, so we'll do that. Yeah, and can I, let me just, this is a quote from the, uh, and just get to this last point, if I may, this is a quote, a recent quote from this U.S. Supreme Court in 2017, in this case, uh, Packingham versus North Carolina. And in, and in that case, they struck down a North Carolina statute, again, so it was state action, right? It was, a, it was a, a statute that made it a felony for a registered sex offender to access any commercial social networking site or webpage if they knew or should have known that a minor would be on that webpage or would use that social media platform. And so the that went up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court struck it down as violating the First Amendment. And this was, and because they said, look, it, it suppresses also you know lawful speech, so it can't stand. But this is what the Supreme Court said, again, in 2017. And it's going to this point that, you know, these social media platforms and the internet, there's something unique and different, right? Does our First Amendment jurisprudence need to kind of evolve as technology you know, evolves. And this is what they said. They said, while in the past, there may have been difficulty in, ident- in identifying the most important places in a spatial sense for the exchange of views, today the answer is clear. It is cyberspace. The vast democratic forms of the internet in general and social media in particular. In short, social media users employ these websites to engage in a wide array of protected First Amendment activity on topics as diverse as human thought. You know, that's slowly leaning towards we typically, you know, the town crier was the person on the soapbox, on the public sidewalk or in the public park or on the, the public street. Those are considered traditional public forums where First Amendment protection is at its, at its zenith. So, but we have cyberspaces, right? The new town crier is, you know, it's Joe Rogan on, on, you know, Spotify or, you know, you name the, the you know, the, the speaker. So it's very interesting and to see how First Amendment jurisprudence is going to develop 
in light of, you know, social media and the, the prominence it's taken uh, in terms of the right to free speech and the freedom of the press and uh, and they're, you know, working with the government like our case against Twitter. So this is this is a really a, a cutting edge issue that uh, that I think that more and more cases may work their way up the Supreme Court. Hopefully our, our case may be one of them. Um, getting to Norm's point, and, and it's a very important one. Because remember, science and, you know, Anthony Fauci says, you know, if you criticize me, you're criticizing science. I mean, what a pretentious you know, comment that is. But what is science? Science only measures things. That's all it can do. It can only measure things. And it's only as good as the as the you know, as the the limitations it places on how it's measuring. Most of these things like the mask mandates or even these vaccine, those aren't based on those aren't science. Those are public policy. That's somebody who's making like taking a look at risks versus benefits and making a determination as to whether or not we should have mass. It's not based on science. There's no, for example, I'm representing a, uh, a Catholic school, resurrection school, which by the way, the Sixth Circuit granted en banc review, which we're going to be arguing on March 9th of uh, challenging the mask mandate of, of you know, kindergarten students in this Catholic school, which has all sorts of, sorts of um, mitigation methods in place. They social distance, they have an air filtration system, they, they, they take a lot of steps to ensure there's not a spread, not to mention, you know, the age of the students are one that, are, that aren't susceptible to hospitalization and all the other issues go with it. So why do we have a mask, a mask mandate for, for these students? Was there a scientific test done of the efficacy of masks at resurrection school, given all the conditions that they have compared to others? Of course not, right? They just take these broad principles, which by the way, we know, you know, don't even, we know that the masks don't work, certainly not these surgical cloth masks. That's been the latest, you know, studies and tests, but they, they're, they're engaging in public policy. They're not, this isn't science. So for them to say, well, science says you have to do this or do that. That's not true. They're just, they're making the determination. It's a public policy determination. And hopefully um, at this next uh, midterm elections, those who went with the uh, t- tyrannical view of, of restrictions will be, uh, will be tossed out of, out of uh, office because they weren't, they weren't even efficacious. Um, you know, it's an interesting quote from uh, Ben Franklin. It's posted outside the uh, steps of, um, I think, the Pennsylvania Capitol, something to the effect that um, those who are willing to give up fundamental liberties for temporary safety deserve neither. And this was Ben Franklin way back, you know, one of our founders. They understood the threat of tyranny, even when in the in the nature of a you know a public crisis, right? That's the time when we have to be most vigilant of our fundamental freedoms. And unfortunately, and this is a term that uh, Gorsuch used in one of his opinions, uh, challenging these uh, these COVID nineteen tyrannical restrictions. He said, you know, the, the for some reason the courts have been sheltering in place, and he said things don't go well when we do, and they don't, and they haven't. And the courts have been sheltering in place. I think they're starting to to wake up a little bit, but that's because I think they were just fearful. And now they realize that, you know, these these restrictions aren't having the impact that they said other than the collateral damage that they're causing. So this is, you know, it's a fight for freedom. That's what it is. And, and, you know, unfortunately, the courts are part of the same cabal of the uh, of those uh, in power that have been imposing all these draconian restrictions on us. Yeah, I want to let me you you brought up Rogan and you brought up some of these other uh, uh, sort of social media uh, platforms. But Rogan particularly is interesting to me because, um, as you said, I remember as a kid going to London and and actually standing at the corner of Hyde Park and watching the old guy wearing his Victorian era stuff and uh, shouting out whatever he was shouting out with his scroll. And I asked my dad what that was. And 
you know, my dad's an attorney and a historian and somewhat of a scholar, and he sort of gave me like this is the this is the uh, quintessential bastion of free speech. Hyde Park, London. Yeah. You get you go there, say whatever yeah. you want, and that's not true anymore. Um, but mm-hmm. it, I, I've often said that uh, after I started the podcast, after we have the roundtable here, we're replacing it. It is here. It's like now they can't get to us. But all of a sudden with Rogan, uh, they're getting to him. And, and so far, it's only Spotify acting uh, theoretically without uh, government pressure. But what's your take on that? And where do you think it goes? And what's the danger? Yeah. And initially, you know, Joe Rogan is, is not a conservative. You know, by by any no. anything, he's 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 no. left middle left, and right. and that's what's kind of interesting, right? That they're going right. because he's tapping into an audience that I think the left is absolutely frightened that they could come around on some of these issues that the conservatives have been arguing, you know, for for a very long time. I think there's there's huge danger here, uh, and because because of the power of these uh, of these social media platforms, because of the power of this uh, of the cancel culture. Right. Look at these. I mean, these companies, my goodness, they're, they're so woke. And in terms of the, uh, you know, the policies that they're they're implementing for their for their companies. This is one of the you know, when you think about the genius of our founding fathers, you know, when they when they drafted the Constitution, my view, it's, it has two principal objectives, prevent tyranny and protect liberty. And it does so by its structure. Right. We have separation of powers. We have co-equal branches of government. Every time we monkey with that. We, we mess up that balance of power and and we have right we have and 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 we also have this concept of federalism where this powers and this should be to the states and not to the federal government we totally monkey with that with the the way the commerce clause jurisprudence has been you know our, our federal government is supposed to be a government of limited enumerated powers and they're in our back pocket for everything yeah then we also have the bill of rights which are a break on those on those powers of government so every time we we interfere with those we're we're undermining freedom because because that's the balance. It's the tyranny and freedom. That's where these things balance out. And the more we lose on freedom, the more you have in terms of of tyranny. And our founding fathers, one of the geniuses, is you, know, you look at the Bill of Rights. It's it's probably not by accident that freedom of speech and the right to seek redress of grievances and a free press were in the First Amendment because they understand that that is the way that you peacefully revolt against your government. Right. There was this. And oh, my goodness, there was this latest DHS memo that came out that said, you know, about cracking down on social media misinformation and so forth, because it's creating distrust in the government. So you mean Department of Homeland Security, right, by DHS? Department of Homeland Security just recently issued a bulletin February 7th. Yeah. The the free press was all about that. We don't trust government. We don't because power corrupts. Right. And absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. We've heard time and time again. And and the First Amendment is a break on that to do it peacefully. And as I've argued, that when that fails, what's in the Second Amendment? Because the, the whole point of the Bill of Rights is that we, we want to be a free people, free from the tyranny of government. And, and the more we erode those First Amendment freedoms, right Right now, we're, quite frankly, I think we're in a, a non-kinetic civil war. And a lot of this is over speech yes. and what we're able to say, what we're not able yes. to say. And the more the more you suppress that, I fear what direction that's going. Yes, right. Because when you think about the Revolutionary War, what did it, how did it? The, the you know the Lexington Concord. Why did that first round get fired? Because the British were coming for the weapons of the Minutemen, right? And yeah. it's so we're, these we're we're in dangerous times right now. In, we are, in my view, in terms of where uh, you know we're we're almost reaching a breaking point. The one thing that's that's been very good though, and and I'm a big fan of uh, Dan Bongino. I don't know if you listen to to his podcast or his radio show. And one of the things that he emphasizes, and such as him, but he he's one of the uh, one of the strongest voices on that, is creating this parallel economy, 
right? Creating these alt- alternate sources such as Rumble or Gab or these others and trying to build up those other social media platforms. You know, we've, we've officially, I've dumped YouTube. I've dumped, you know, we had 17,000 followers on you on, uh, on Facebook gone. I'm just, you know, we canceled it. And it's funny, they, you, you cancel it, but they leave it up for like, you know, a month or so before they'll finally <laughs> take it down. And Twitter and these, we just gotta, we just gotta, people gotta start, yeah. you know, voting with their feet and taking action and a lot of small steps. You know, I'm representing a bunch of parents from Loudoun County. Look what they were able to do, right? In Virginia. Yeah, fantastic. I think they affected that gubernatorial race. For right? sure. With the, now they have a Republican governor and, a, and quite frankly, a very blue, a very uh, yeah. blue state. And it was because the parents were outraged enough that they kept pressing, 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 exercising their First Amendment rights and uh, and changing the um, and changing the outcome. Yeah. Republican we, people uh, need to step up. Republican yep. lieutenant governor and Republican AG in Virginia as well. So yeah. just it yeah. was a, you know, a clean sweep, if I may. Um, there was also some some memos and this has been uh, Pentagon um, a policy. Uh, D- D- Department of Homeland Security, where um, uh, catchwords uh, have been um, highlighted to be possibly hate speech or indicative of possible um, internal, um, you know, insurgencies. And uh, so the military, um, one of the things uh, that that they were told to look for in social media posts. Um, of uh, of uh, of those in the military during that sweep they did last year was uh, high interest in the Constitution. If you if 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 a soldier or an airman, uh, you know, posted on social media uh, something about you know Fifth Amendment, you know, or Tenth Amendment, or just in general, uh, you know, maybe talking about Mark Levin's idea about having a new constitutional convention, if that trooper is just talking and and speculating on his or her private um, social media, uh, that was taken to be as a possible um, evidentiary uh, type of uh, of clue to look further into that person as uh, as somebody that needs to be weeded out of the military. And then, you know, of course, DHS talked about the word freedom, the actual, you know, I mean, it's in the name of your law firm, the word freedom, yeah. uh, you know, that that's somehow indicative of a possibly hate speech. It's just, it like you said, Orwellian, I can't wrap my head around it. And I think the military only found allegedly like maybe 100, 120 people that they thought might be, uh, you know, uh, possibly, you know, neo-Nazis or clanners or whatever. And I'm not even sure that that's true. But their sweep was a huge failure because, in fact, 99.9% of our military are, are good Americans. Yeah, you know, it's boy, when just listening to you describe that, I mean, is absolutely shocking, right? You would think that would be something you would hear through Pavda or, you know, right? It's, it was like a, a Soviet purging of the military or a Chinese purging of the military, but that's our own military. I mean, it's, and, you know, something that I came from 13 years. It's, it's, it's utterly shocking, um, you know, what they're doing and, and how dangerous, uh, you know, that is. And you mentioned, you know, the word, the constitution, as I, you know, as I'd mentioned previously, you know, every officer takes an oath to support and defend the constitution of the United States. So apparently our oath of office is, uh, is indicative of, uh, you know, if you take that oath, you're an extremist, apparently. 
I, you know, I don't know where this all goes or ends. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it is, it's very frightening. Um, it's going to take, uh, I think, uh, you know, the American an awakening of the American people, which I think there, there is, right. I, I'm always, I'm always eternally optimistic. I always have a lot of, a lot of hope, you know, as a, as a faithful Catholic, I do. Right. And we know yeah. that, uh, you know, grace comes from suffering and we're, you know, we're, we're suffering and per- being persecuted quite a bit, uh, for our beliefs and our, and our ideas. But, um, you know, it's, it's a battle. And, and the thing that, that I think is important for everybody is everybody can, has a stake in this, in the outcome of this. Um, and everybody can take a small step, whether it be run for your local school board, or how about just showing up at your school board meetings to know what the school boards are actually doing that you're paying the, the taxes for. Make sure you vote, volunteer to be a poll watcher. So, you know, they don't have these shenanigans that went on during this last election with all these absentee yeah. ballots just kind of arriving from nowhere. You know, do some dump your your Facebook, dump your Twitter accounts. Look at these. Look for these alternate sources. Go shop at the companies that uh, that promote your ideas and promote right. your values. Right. I know when there was there was supposed to be a big, uh, you know, they were a big boycott of Tucker Carlson show, which I'm a big fan of Tucker Carlson. And some of the companies stuck with them. You know, the MyPillow company, Tecovis. Great cowboy boots. I ordered a pair of Tacoma's boots. I ordered stuff from. I mean, like, and I let right. them know the reason why I'm purchasing from you is because of this. Right. Or, or the reason why I dumped your account and I'm never shopping at your store is because of this. Uh, your right? point. We, your point about people uh, gr- need to start taking action. Your point about grassroots. I just heard, yeah. and this is unbelievable. This is really a big thing. I just heard on the radio coming in today that in San Francisco, they threw out three of the school board members and replaced them with uh, at least moderate or if not uh, conservative, I don't know, but they threw out three of the school boards in the most recent election uh, because uh, as one spokesman said for the uh, for the group uh, that, that campaigned against them, uh, you know, while, while, while they were more interested in renaming schools than reopening schools. So they would. So they considered Abraham Lincoln. He was a, a racist, and they they took the name of Abraham Lincoln Elementary or High School or whatever it was. They stripped it. They stripped those kinds of names off of forty one schools in San Francisco. That's what that school board was involved in. They weren't involved in trying to get the children, you know, demasked or you know, let's analyze the science and let's reopen the schools. Their obsession is with all this wokeness and the parents in in San Francisco, man, <laughs> they threw them out. That that's yep. incredible. I hope they throw out Nancy Pelosi next. Well, you know, I it, yeah. it, it, it fall you you said we have a voting uh, we have a voting veto, so to speak. We can go to the ballot box and change it locally. And you made some comment like you're you're worried where all this goes. And some of this is founded on the fact that we do have a First Amendment. We do have a constitution. And, and like you said, it was a break against governmental power. And there was even a discussion early on, I think, about whether we should enumerate it because by enumerating it, we're limiting it just by listing what is implicitly there. But we have mm-hmm. a First Amendment. And I, and I think it's a good segue here to, to ask you about uh, what's going on in Canada. There is a, uh, there's a huge truckers protest there. Uh, they don't have a First Amendment. Um, there's uh, you, you go to England now, and people are being prosecuted just for name calling. 
Uh, I'm not talking about like fighting words. I'm just talking about using words. And I know in Canada, people are being prosecuted for using the word man or getting fined where they don't have a First Amendment. And and where it goes without somebody like you being a bulwark against the chiseling away of the First Amendment, uh, I think it goes to those places. Um, What are your thoughts on that stuff? Well, let me just, uh, one point I want to make, because I make this a lot, you know, about being a bulwark against these, these attacks against the First Amendment. You know, I'm only an advocate. Right. I'm an attorney. I represent a party. And and I and it and this is what's important. The, the reason why I'm able to do the cases I'm, I'm doing is because there's some courageous individual who wants to exercise their First Amendment right. And and so it's important. Right. If you don't exercise these muscles, they atrophy. And I, I love what the truckers are doing. Right. And they're they're engaging in, you know, boycott is also part of, you know, we see it all the time on the left. They boycott uh, businesses or they, you know, they take actions that might slow down or affect, you know, the bottom line of uh, of a company doing it legally. And that what the truckers are doing is if it was done here, certainly in the United States and Canada, you know, it's they don't they don't have the full level of protection that we have the right to free speech. Um, and I'd like to see that that truckers kind of take on that mantle here in the United States. I love to see what what's going on up in Canada. Compare what they're doing, for example, to what we witnessed, you know, all summer long last summer and about the Black Lives Matter, right? Those are supposedly, you know, the summer of love and peace. Meanwhile, you know, we're all watching TV with these buildings on flame and these, you know, yeah. the windows busted and cars overturned. Yeah, that's not speech. That's rioting. That's and right. you see the way the left handles and, tr- and and was treating the Black Lives the whole Black Lives Matter movement, which, by the way, you know, uh, was during the time when they had all these social gathering restrictions and mass restrictions. But yet all those are thrown out. And it's and I guess, you know, one of the comments I always made was that I guess the way you, you know, you stop a pandemic is you riot because apparently rioting. Nobody was affected by uh, by rioting from this uh, from the disease. But you see the way that they treating those two things, the way everything sure. the truckers have been doing. And trust me, I mean, the left is looking for some act of violence or something that they can, you know, pin on these truckers, but they've not. These guys are, right. you know, uh, red-blooded, you know, hardworking Americans who said enough is enough, and so they're taking action, and they're going to affect public policy because of it. And I absolutely, you know, applaud them for doing so. I've been mostly disappointed by the lack of um, opposition of the American people to all these restrictions that have been going on. As we're starting to see it now. I mean, I go into stores now, and it says, you know, mass required, and I look around and you know, 90% of the people there aren't wearing masks because they're like, I'm done with this. This is this is stupid. It was stupid from the beginning. Um, and I, I just been a little bit more disappointed that there hasn't been stronger pushback by the American people of some of these uh, of some of these restrictions that have been in place. As I, you know, I've also said, you know, when this pandemic first started, uh, Americans are great neighbors, right? We, we are. I mean, we, you know, look at the, the, the epicenter of the of the pandemic was New York City and how many healthcare workers volunteered and really ran to the sound of the guns, as it were, to help out in New York City with the crisis that they were going through, doing it just volunteer, volunteers. You see, whenever there's a hurricane or something, people coming from and helping each other out. That's our nature as Americans. We help out our, you know, the, the Marshall Plan, and I mean, we rebuilt Europe and, and so forth. But we're also people who threw tea in the harbor, right? And so when it goes from just being a good neighbor and the initial, you know, 14 days to flatten the curve and to reduce hospitalizations, okay, we'll go along, we'll get, but then as these things started getting broader and broader and broader, it's like, wait a second, this is tyranny. You know, this is no longer me being a good neighbor. This is tyranny. I'm going to start throwing tea in the harbor because I'm sick and tired of what's going on. So we, we have that as our nature. And I think we're at this point now where 
I'm starting to see people throwing tea in the harbor because they're, we're done with the uh, with this tyranny. Of, and it's mo- and it's largely from the left. So that's it, how they operate. They're tyrannical by nature. So the presidential effect, uh, unless it's challenged in court and slapped down at the Supreme Court level or at least, you know, the circuit court level, the, the presidential effect of all these restrictions they illegally and unconstitutionally did to the American people and to the state, various state populations. Some of the things here in Ohio, Governor De- DeWine did were, were outside of the Ohio Constitution. And unless those things are chased down by, um, by your clients with you as their advocate, um, those will become legal precedents that they use down the road against us again. And, and so, you know, you take your resurrection case. Now, here you are, an Orthodox Catholic, self-described as such on your, on your, on your page, suing an archdiocese, okay, which is, you know, incredible. Just because we're, we're suing the county health department. Okay. On the, yeah. it's, so, so it's, a, it's a health. It's not yeah, it's the archdiocese, uh, the policy no, that they the, wear no, the, the mask. Fact, okay. Uh, Okay. Yeah, our bishop is actually 100 percent supportive okay, of our lawsuit. Super. So I just and want to make sure it's good. Other archdioceses. Yeah, so it's a First Amendment issue. Is other it? other archdioceses in other areas of the country yeah. are on board with their local boards of health and are are imposing yeah. these restrictions. There's a couple of lawsuits by Catholic parents against archdioceses. Um, so you know, in in your situation, that's not the case. But um, you know, unless people litigate this. These precedents are, are, are set. You know, 10, 15 years from now, they're going to look back and say, well, hey, it stood and, and, and you know, there's no decisions against what DeWine did or what Biden did or, frankly, what some of the things Trump did. Yeah, I, what I think, um, hopefully, one of the outcomes with this, this election is not only at the national level where we see a flipping of the House and potentially this, you know, the Senate um, and but also in the local elections, the, the gubernatorial races and the, the state legislatures is we need to take a hard look at these uh, emergency powers acts. Yes. Right. Because most of these governors are acting pursuant to legislation that grants them, you know, certain powers uh, to essentially legislate uh, irrespective of, you know, having to go back to the legislatures. So I'm, I'm hoping one of the things that that happens is that there's a hard look at what and these public health laws. When you look at the the, the authority we're giving to these public health departments can and these public health officials to and operate FEMA. unilaterally. Yeah, and FEMA. Yeah. It's so off, that's off the hook. looking at that that enabling legislation and and getting rid of that so that there's a break on that. Right. It goes back to the separation of powers where you don't have the executive branch, the governor carrying all the power, they have to go back to the legislature after so many days to get authority and approvals. And that's where, you know, your voice can be heard more through, you know, through the legislature than it can be through one singular, uh, you know, one singular voice and perhaps even put in place a judicial review component to bring in the third branch of government. But we need to take a hard look the, uh, at, the, at the enabling legislation. So for like example, here in Michigan, um, there was the Emergency Powers uh, the Emergency Powers Act, which granted the, gov- the governor 30 days to exercise emergency powers, but after 30 days, she had to renew that with the legislature. Well, after she did that, the first 30 days of this pandemic, like April of whatever, I'm losing track of what year this all started, it's been going on for 2020, so long. 2020, 2020, yeah. 2020, the legislature said, no, we're not going to renew our powers. 
Well, she said, oh, well, look, there's this Emergency Powers of Governors Act, which I don't have to go to the legislature. I'm going to start enacting my laws pursuant to that. That was challenged in court, and the Michigan Supreme Court held that it was unlawful. And so she could no longer use that real, that unilateral power. But what ended up happening? She turned to her health department and said, use the public health code to enact all these restrictions. And that's what ended up happening. Rather than coming from the governor's office, they came from the county health department and the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Our legislature needs to go back and revisit the, the authority that's being granted to these agencies to enact these type of measures during so-called crises, right? Because now we're hearing... Oh, uh, you know, gun violence is the new crisis or, you know, climate change is the next crisis. Right. right? And so this thing is going to be never ending. That's what uh, Rahm Emanuel said. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Right. The left, they have to operate in fear. That's what tyrants do. They keep you in fear. And and then they they're the ones that have the solutions to all this. We're going to keep you afraid, keep you in fear. And that's how they keep their power. Rob, we need to shift that. So spot on. So just today, Mayor Ginther, who's the mayor of Columbus, Ohio, uh, had a press conference and announced that uh, he was declaring a public health emergency and deputizing the Department of Health in, in the city of Columbus to address gun violence. So, you know, I mean, here we go again. You know, I'm sure they're going to take another stab at, quote, assault, unquote, rifles and all that silly stuff. And, of course, you know, that that has nothing to do with it. We just had a mass stabbing incident. Uh, you, you know, uh, like nine victims or eleven victims uh, a couple days ago uh, in the it, here in here in the U.S. and and nobody's talking about taking away steak knives. It's 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 just that uh, you know, no, and in fact, we're focused in, uh, on the object. I think it was a, a year or so ago. I think London had a higher murder rate than New York City, which that obviously has changed now because of the the policies they put in place. And you know, they there's no guns in them. They're all either knife killings or, you know, some other blunt object or instrument. And there was actually talk about uh, making it illegal to have a knife and people saying, so if I go to a store to buy a knife for, you know, to cook with, how do I get it home? You know, it's just (laughs) kind of silliness. It leads leads to just absurdity. The more they they tinker. It does. (laughs) Well, look, we got, I know we got to wrap it up. We're running out of time, but there is something, there's one last topic I want to get your thoughts on. And it was a case that you referenced last time we talked on the phone before we did this, it was the Bible believers case up there. And the reason I, I looked it up and I read it, and frankly, anybody who wants any education at all about the First Amendment, that the Sixth Circuit in their en banc review, meaning the entire court, all the judges together, um, they came up with an opinion here that summarizes the value of the First Amendment and freedom of speech uh, probably as well as anyone ever could, and you were at the helm of that one. Um, yeah, that that's of all the cases that I've done, that one in, in that opinion and and just a little background of that, because it's it's really a remarkable, uh, remarkable case. This group, Bible Believers, they went to the uh, this Arab International Festival in, in Dearborn, Michigan, which has one of the largest populations of of Muslim Americans in, in all of the United States. Um, I've had I represented through two other clients prior to the Bible Believers. One was this this uh, this pastor, George Sag, who wanted to hand out. Religious liberty, uh, li- religious literature at the Arab festival on the public sidewalks, which were remained open for the public. They said, no, we sued, lost in the district court, won in the Sixth Circuit and said, no, this violates the First Amendment. I represented a, a group of uh, one was a former Muslim who were um, who were evangelizing at the Arab festival. And thankfully, they were videotaping. Um, the police came up and said, you're disturbing the peace. 
and they arrested him, put him in handcuffs. They had to go through a criminal trial. I represent him in the criminal trial and they were acquitted. Thankfully, we had video. It was this conversation between this former Muslim who was answering questions from these other, I mean, they were literally raising their hands, asking questions. It was a back, it was more peaceful than probably most high school classes that you would see on a given day. And they literally put him in handcuffs, threw him in jail, spent a night in the jail. And they were acquitted. We turned around and we sued the city of Dearborn again and won again. So Bible believers are like, you know what? We're going to go there to this Arab festival where they keep suppressing the free speech rights of Christians. And we're going to protest with signs peacefully walking up and down the sidewalks, which they did. And they were literally attacked. They were assaulted with rocks and bottles by a, a I mean, it looked like something, you know, you watch the old films of the, the Palestinians, you know, pelting the Israelis. Uh, and uh, and Israel. I mean, it was they were literally, they, they were bloody, they were bleed. And so they went up to the Wayne County Sheriff's Department. Interestingly, the city of Dearborn said, we're no longer providing any police service for the Arab Festival because they've paid the American Freedom Law Center so many attorney's fees over the last two prior years. <laughs> so they turned it over to the Wayne County Sheriff's Department. And the city of Dearborn's like, we don't want anything to do with this thing. We're backing out. So the Wayne County Sheriff's Department took over at policing the festival. And they had one of their uh, commanders, one of their senior officers there, uh, told the Bible believers that um, that if they didn't leave the Arab Festival, they would be um, arrested for disturbing the peace. And the Bible believers was like, us? How about the people that are throwing rocks and balls at us? See the blood coming down my head? And so they left under protest and we sued. Uh, the district court uh, ruled against us. We appealed. The uh, the th- the three judge panel you get it you get a right to one appeal to the uh, to the appellate court this was the sixth circuit and uh, we lost two to one and the dissenting judge was Judge Clay Judge Clay who's a he's an old school liberal um, African American no doubt grew up during the civil rights era understood the importance of free speech no doubt you know disliked what the Bible believers were uh, you know were saying on the on the public sidewalk. But uh, he wrote a dissent and he said, not only is this uh, opinion um, wrong, it's dangerously wrong. I mean, it was a it was a scathing dissent. So we filed what's called a petition for rehearing on bank. Uh, and that's asking the full court to rehear this important First Amendment case. So you only get a three judge panel as a matter of right. You have to petition and get a full court hearing on bank. That's what that means. A full court There's 15 judges, 15 active judges who sit on, it's the entire active court of the uh, U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. It's a rarity uh, to have an en banc. So they granted that. And so I re-argued the case uh, before the 15-judge panel. That's a that's a unique experience in and of itself. I bet it is. <laughs> like <laughs> having the 15 and, you know, handling the questions from 15 different judges. Wow. Um, but we won. And the, uh, the person who wrote the majority opinion was Judge Clay. And it is a beautiful exposition of the First Amendment, the importance of First Amendment, the importance of, right? If the First Amendment doesn't protect off-putting speech, then there's no need for it. Right. Right. And that's right. what that's the right. problem with these labels of hate speech. There's no there's no category under the First Amendment right. that carves out an exception for hate speech. Right. Not at all. If right. anything, hate speech arguably is protected, most protected speech. Right. And right. he went through the whole this uh, concept of a heckler's veto. Right, where those who disagree with your speech can't silence the speaker by engaging in illegal conduct. The the role of the government is to protect the speaker, not which is just the opposite of what the Wayne County Sheriff's Department did. Is they you know threatened to arrest the speaker because of the uh, illegal actions taken by the uh, those who oppose the speech. But it's a it's I mean it's just a very very well done opinion. There are very 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 few exceptions to First Amendment protection in their very narrow, narrow categories, typically defamation, obscenity, fighting words, 
true threats, and incitement. And those are such narrow categories that almost never apply. They're, they're very narrowly uh, narrowly defined. So whenever you hear people, that's why when they say, well, they're a hate group engaging in hate speech, it's utter nonsense. The idea that misinformation is somehow not protected by the First Amendment is utter nonsense. Again, who decides what's the misinformation and what's you know the proper information? Right. It's all tyrannical. It's all Orwellian. I am all for you know, this free open marketplace of ideas Absolutely. and what the social media and these corporations in conjunction with the government are doing right now are threatening the very, very fiber core foundation of our constitution and thus our fundamental freedoms. Rob, uh, Steve got his last question and I'm going to, I'm going to just hit you with a quick <laughs> one. Uh, it seems to me the way to address this social media free speech issue um, the ideal situation would be to address it directly instead of nibbling around with, uh, you know, J.D. Vance is talking about the Taft-Hartley Act, breaking up big monopolies. That's a nice strategy. Your Section 230 arguments are a nice strategy. But what if Congress, I was looking at Title VII and the categories of protected classes for public accommodation, okay, so you can't discriminate for race, religion, national origin, age, sex, pregnancy, citizenship, familial status, uh, disabilities, veteran, uh, or genetics. What if Congress were to pass a law that says your political opinions are, that is a protected class. People who hold whatever their political opinions are, that is, uh, that's also protected under Title VII. Then if social media is a public accommodation, which it surely is, wouldn't that be the most direct way to handle this in the future? Or what do you think about that? Well, um, the first problem with that is Section 230. Because Section 230 provides absolute immunity against any of those because that that uh, the California Unruh Act is in, in essence to like a public accommodation, a public accommodation law. I always have a problem with any of that type of legislation to begin with, be honest with you. Okay. Right. Cause it always ends up being turned against people, right? Look at what the public accommodation laws have done to the, you know, the bakers out in Colorado, right? Because they don't want to bake a cake, uh, you know, for a, a so-called same sex uh, marriage uh, because of volleys, their religious beliefs, but they get hammered by, by these public accommodation laws again and again. Um, and yeah. so there's again and again, I, the more we can take the power away from government, uh, the, the, it's I'd, I'd rather find a way to, um, you know, to address this from a from a, a free speech perspective and, and you know, maybe have an alternate platforms. But it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting concept. I'd have to I'd have to think about how what would be the, the negative you know repercussions of that um, and, you know, how that's because those things usually get turned on conservatives quicker than anything else. Um, and so that would be my only concern with with more legislation in these areas. Um, but uh, that's why I think, you know, Section 230 is is uh, is problematic. Um, and, and but this these social media companies, they're sui generis. It's really it's a unique, you know, they when you, you know, that quote I read from the Supreme Court, they are pretty much the new, yeah. you know, town hall. So how do we how do we address that? So we understand that still have this distinction between private actors and the government in a way that that uh, and, I, you know, I don't have a complete answer to that. So yet. further, it's, it's a, further it's a tough question. I, the easier question is when they when they conspire with the government and they're working hand in hand yeah. on things, 
then that's problematic. But, but further, as, a, as a private entity, I, I'm not for uh, legislation. Gotcha. So further development of what was uh, written about or, or the decision in the Packingham case, that's that portends good things. So if we could expand that and, and get a clear statement that cyberspace is the public square, now, now we're rolling. Yeah. Yeah. And I have no problem with the, like I said, the defense aspect of section 230 immunities, because that, that promotes the free, the free market, the free exchange of ideas. At the end of the day, I wish everybody would just dump Twitter, dump YouTube, dump Facebook, make them like not even consequential. And then we, you know, let the markets rise up with rumble and these other places that way, if I had my, you know, if I had my perfect solution, that's what it would be. I would dump these guys, drain them of their revenue, make them inconsequential, make them just, you know, something of the past and move forward with, uh, with, uh, you know, me- social media platforms that actually uh, respect the public different opinions and views. Well, well, I think that's but, an interesting uh, way to look I at it. We're going to be there. It's, Thank it's you. an interesting way to look yeah. at it because you know, you, it's, there's not maybe the takeaway from all this, there's not going to be a quick solution. There just has to be everybody individually, no. uh, paying attention to what's going on, standing up to it and let the market evolve. And I think, I think it is happening. People yeah. are going to other uh, yep. platforms yep. and, you know, the school board debates I watch on YouTube every day, people are keen to it now. And the more, if one person is, then so will another and, and so on and so on. So, Hey, thanks a lot for the work yeah, you're doing, you, Rob. man. Um, uh, great stuff. And uh, again, you just want to tell us if people want to look you up and what you're, uh, what you guys are doing, where do they go? Best place is just go to our website, AmericanFreedomLawCenter.org. All right. Cool. Thanks, Rob. We appreciate it. I got to tell you, Norm, that uh, Rob, uh, that was such a great opportunity to get some insight into free speech stuff and and what the current climate is, you know, just uh, for him to come on our show and spend some time with us and uh, and offer his opinions. Boy, that uh, that makes all the difference. Yeah. And and he's he's really doing God's work. Uh if you if you read their mission statement, it's all about faith, you know, protecting faith, your right, um, you know, uh, to 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 believe in God or not believe in God, and in any way you want to, and also freedom. And as he said, the First Amendment is, I mean, that is the epicenter of our freedoms in this country. Yeah, I wish we would have more time. And there, there was a there was a discussion we had with him the other day off the when we weren't recording, but. You know, it's so important that when we look at these First Amendment type of restrictions, we not we, we put our blinders on and not look at the content or maybe alternative, be able to put the other guy's glasses on and look at it from that perspective. Meaning, look, if you sh- if you shut my speech down, Norm, I'm going to shut yours down next time based on the same standard. Right. So it, it should not be a seesaw. Uh, implication of regulation based on who's in power. I mean, look how the left lionized Larry Flint. Right. You know, free speech. He's putting clearly, you know, just, reprehensible stuff, just right? smut. You know, he's putting he, he put uh, what Jerry Falwell's uh, head on a pig. And then, you know, somebody was simulating a sex act in his magazine or, or something. I mean, something just terribly gross. And he would talk about people's mothers and publish their pictures. And it's just, just terrible stuff. But when it came right down to it, you know, the court system said, yeah, it's it's the worst kind of speech. And guess what? We're going to protect it. Yeah. And that's what the in the Bible believers case, if it does just that, that opinion is written as such that it doesn't matter if it's 
Christians on one side and Muslims on the other or vice versa. It didn't matter. If right. it were a Christian festival and uh, the Christians were throwing bottles at the Muslim uh, leaf, leaf hand, what do they call the guy? The, the, yeah, the, yeah, the pamphlet guys. Yeah, um, pamphleteers. Pamphleteers. Yeah, they, they, the, yeah, that would be equally bad, equally, equally wrong, equally. Yeah, and you know, kind of harkens back. You know, in previous shows, you and I talked about the, uh, um, you know, the the old ACLU and in how mainly Jewish lawyers at the ACLU defended the rights of speech and assembly for for neo-nazis to march through the jewish neighborhood of uh, in skokie illinois yep and uh the, the aclu would do nothing of the kind today they, no. they would they would not defend the, the that. they are it, it, rob's organization is that now you know that's right and um and i would i would note this lawyers aren't buses i was told a long, long time ago we don't have to stop at the corner and pick up every uh Every uh, every bystander, everybody wants to get take a ride. We get to pick and choose our cases, and for every case that Rob has, I hope there's somebody on the other side to litigate the other side because that's how our system works. It's a clashing of ideas in the courtroom, and not just ideas uh, about what God you pray to or believe in, but uh, the legal standards. And if somebody is not taking up the cause to uh, protect our Constitution, then we will surely lose it. And um, it is easy to let the rights go when you believe in uh, the cause behind whatever is uh, they're they're advocating to let the rights go for. That's a terrible sentence, but you get it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is a system of accretion. It, it's kind of like uh, how, how sedimentary rock is made over eons of time. One layer on top of another layer on top of that layer and on and on and on until you have a body of law. And that's what we have. The, the longer the United States exists, the more precedent, the more body of law will exist. And and it and it it, it fighting it out in court instead of fighting it out in the streets is why we have a court system. Um, and you know, is to take potential violence, to take disagreements that might escalate into violence, and bring it into a courtroom where cool heads will present both sides of a situation to what should be, you know, blind justice, an impartial judge or panel on bonk, as, as Rob said, whatever it is, uh, the tribunal then will, will hash it out, issue an opinion, and then we move on to the next case. Yep. So and hopefully reach perfection. We, it's, a, it's a constant quest towards perfection. Until that happens in the court system, it certainly has happened here at Lawyer Talk. What do I mean? That means we have the perfect podcast. No, I'm just kidding. No, we are going to keep rolling with guests like this. Norm, thank you for procuring Rob and getting him on our show. And we hope to get some others and do this more and more and more. Until then, just the standard sort of closing comments. If you've got a question, you've got a topic, if you want Norm, me, or others to to address it here at the roundtable, just go to LawyerTalkPodcast.com, LawyerTalkPodcast.com. You can submit your questions. Give us a topic. If you want to become a guest, say that too. You know, we're, we take all comers as long as you're uh, – as long as you're safe, normal, and you're not going to beat us up, we'll right. bring you in. Yeah, we don't hate anybody. We love everybody, and uh, we're conservatives uh, without um, without hate. And I think um, you know it's important every now and then for us to to just make sure people understand that even though we're passionate, and even though we may you know go on a bit and sounds like we're ber- berating people, that's 
not because we don't care about them. It's not because we don't love them as fellow human beings. Uh, but hey, uh, we we mean what we say, and uh, you know. Yeah, I, I look at people individually, folks. I, I do not. I, I do, and if you, if that bothers you, well, then you're just going to have to deal with it. I look at people individually. I will. I, I always right. start with a handshake. And, uh, and then we go from there. That's the only way you can do it. I don't uh, judge people by uh, what group they identify with so, or any of that other nonsense. So, so it sounds like we're disparaging sometimes liberals and progressives. We don't mean that at a personal level. And uh, Steve and I, I assure you, have many friends who are liberal. You bet. I fight the, I fight the uh, ideology, not the individual. So anyway, uh, if you want to have a comment, you want to be on the show, give us a shout, look us up, send me an email, do whatever. If you want your own podcast, we can handle that too here at Channel 511. You can go to channel511.com, drop me a line. We work with Brett over at Circle, Circle 270 Media. Does a fabulous job. His book of work is growing fast. So if you want to, and the studio is filling up too. So uh, the time slots are limited. No problem. We'll work in. There's still uh, there's still some room. Uh, until next time. This is Lawyer Talk off the record on the air. Until now.